Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family, we chose this one. It's episode 180, Kill Bill, Volume 2 from 2004. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And this episode's brought to you by The Body Shop. The Body Shop's Peppermint Cooling and Reviving Foot Spray. If you want to refresh and revive your hot, tired feet with an instant pick-me-up of cooling, deodorizing peppermint, put it in the fridge for a summertime treat. Shout out to The Body Shop. Well, shout out to The Body Shop and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. No intro segment today. This is a bonus episode. Bonus episode on a Friday. Closing out Kill Bill Week. This is our final movie in lap eight. Next week, we have our tune-up relap recap where we bring back Heather Antos one more time. But before we do that, before we introduce lap nine next week, we've got to close out the Tokyo Drift lap. We've got to close out the Kill Bill week. And we got to talk about Kill Bill Volume 2. We were talking about it in the last episode. I was like, man, I really like Kill Bill Volume 1. Yeah. You were like, yeah, 2 is just so much better. Rachel's like, I like 2 so much better. I forgot that I've seen 2 probably like 7,000 times. And like, I pretty much remembered every word of it, but didn't remember how much better it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I could pretty much quote the entire movie. I didn't realize how many times I've seen it. It's fucking incredible. So this movie was so well received that when they did the first test screening in Austin, there was a five minute standing ovation and like the Weinstein, I don't know if the Weinsteins were there, just Miramax was there as like represented. And the company that was putting on the the, the test screening decided we're not going to hand out comment cards. We don't need to hand out comment. Like we, we, know, we know what the reaction is. Yeah. So <laughs> that's cool. I mean, we talked about last time that this, these two were meant to be a one four movie. hour epic film, like one. And then they were like, no, we can't do that. There is supposed like we also mentioned last time that Quentin said there, there a volume three would happen, but quote, not for a decade. I don't know when that was, but I think more than a decade ago. They talked about spinoff around Vernita Green's daughter, Nikki, or also a possible all anime backstory of the Deadly Viper assassination squad. So we got a little bit of Oren. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So so here's some trivia like we do last time that we'll get into the movie because there's a bunch of trivia about this too. Uh, some more references to things I did not know were references, but we got, we, of course, of course, there's more of those. Of course. The big behind the scenes gossip is that Daryl Hannah and Uma Thurman did not get along with one another. Oh. Uma won Best Fight at the MTV Movie Awards two years in a row. So she won with Gogo Yubari the year before, and she collected the award. Yes. And then this time, apparently, you know, she and L Driver won for their fight in this movie. Uh, she and Daryl Hannah won. And Uma did not show up. Daryl Hannah was there to collect the award, but Uma did not show up, which is very, very interesting. Apparently, I they, mean, they not had really. like. Well, they had like. I know, but they had like staffers and people like make sure that they were separated. Like, it wasn't just that. Like, it was like more stuff behind the scenes that, like, no, they don't get along. Was she at the award show, just didn't show up to collect it? or No, what? I think like... she just didn't go to the award show. I, I I don't know. That's the impression I got from IMDb. I, you know, I don't go deeper than that because, yeah, you know, makes sense. it's not a rabbit hole that I'm going to fall down. But speaking of L Driver, speaking of Daryl Hannah, she drives a 1980 Pontiac Trans Am in this film. Mm-hmm. So shout out to the cars of our Fast and Furious podcast. Daryl Hannah owns a Trans Am that was used in promo shots, but Michael Madsen owns the one that actually was driving in this movie. So they both kind of got one. He got the one that actually works, which kind of uh, feels a little shitty, but you know. They were their cars or they just got the cars that were in the movie afterwards? No, I think they got the ones that were in the movie. Like I think that they uh, they were just, yeah. So That's cool. Ta- like Quentin has the... um. The pussy wagon. Yeah, that would make sense. I want to say he's got, like, you know, in this movie, we see Bud has his Hattori Hanzo sword just in a golf club bag, like a golf bag. Yeah. I think maybe Quentin Tarantino has the 
the swords in like in his garage or something. I don't remember. There's like some story that I heard about that. I don't know. That would make sense. Daryl Hannah improvised the scene where she gets her eye plucked out. She improvised her overreaction. I maybe not overreaction, but improvised her reaction because she thought Quentin Tarantino would laugh, and he did. Uh, but apparently, she hurt herself because she was like smashing into so many things. Very funny, very memorable. But apparently, that was not in the script. She just like I'm gonna do this because it's gonna be funny, and so she did it. Yeah, like one of those like I'm gonna do this for like the blooper reel or something, yep. and then but like just in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. She was originally supposed to have her throat cut by Beatrix, by the bride, but she did not, just had the eye plucked out. But her pain, like this this, this scene, this reaction is very similar. Apparently, her character Pris in Blade Runner has a similar kind of thing, I guess. So Blade Runner comes up a lot on here. It and does. I forgot Daryl Hannah was in that. And you know, apparently, you know, the reaction was similar. I need to rewatch Blade Runner now. I, I feel like I would remember that, but maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess no I mean, idea. I don't. I know that I don't, but I thought I would. Yeah, upon reading it, for sure. This is kind of a famous, like, film nerd Kill Bill story, is that Robert Rodriguez scored this movie, like, did the score for this movie for $1. Yes. And so in repayment, Quentin Tarantino did the one scene, directed one scene in Sin City for a dollar, which is the scene with the cop cars and all those crazy lights and stuff like that. So, yep. you know, they're always friends. They're always doing things together. They would do Grindhouse together three or four years after this, right? So pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. That's always, like, a fun thing. Like, um, a lot of the times, like, when my friends and I make bets... It's always just, like, for a dollar. It's not, like, for serious money. It's more just, like, you know, you're my friend, and here's the thing. So I'm, I think that's cool. Someone will be talking a lot about this episode, Pi May. So his three-inch punch is in reference to Bruce Lee's three-inch knockout punch. So mm-hmm. that's where that comes from. Apparently in the script, his, his five-point palm exploding heart technique was a ten-point palm. And I guess they just scaled it down for the they movie. They didn't have which, enough time. I guess so. Probably Actually, not. speaking of time, nothing what? but time, but speaking of that for a second... The original end of this movie was going to be a sword fight on a moonlit beach between Beatrix and Bill, and Beatrix is going to be in her wedding dress. Production ran long, and they couldn't film that, so instead she just talks about it. And then, you know, they have their little fight in the backyard or whatever. But apparently it was going to be much more cinematic and much more, like, operatic and her in her dress. And I guess that's where he, she would kill him then. But, yeah, that's kind of a bummer, because I would have liked to have seen that. But, you know, I know, I like the happen. end. I like this end. I would have liked to have seen that, but at the same time, like, I don't think it's like, oh, man, like, that would have made it so much better, right? Like, right, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, that'd be cool. But back to Pai Mei for a second. So his round hole flank punch. So he, you know, he shows her how to punch through, like, a board, and, like, it's a round hole as opposed to, you yes. know, it's splintering. Yeah. Apparently, it's a reference to several martial arts masters, including Matsum- Masusatsu Oyama founder of the Kyokushin School of Karate, who is said to have punched such a hole in Oak Door to stop a burglar who was trying to break into his house. So whether that's real or just, you know, a story of legend, Myth, it's yeah. cool that they're like, hey, this guy is so strong he can just punch directly through wood as opposed to like just breaking the wood or whatever, right? I think that's really cool. I, that's that's a really nice touch. I didn't know the background to it, but I, I really like that because, yeah, normally you would just break the board in half but it's like yeah i concentrate my power so mm-hmm. tightly mm-hmm. that i punch a perfect circle through the wood pi may is based on pak may p-a-k-m-e-i the originator of the white eyebrow kung fu technique according to legend pak may pak may was one of the very or one was one of the few masters left following the decimation of the buddhist temples he later sold out other masters to save his team and himself during an attack gone wrong for this reason, Pak Mai Kung Fu has always been known as, quote, the forbidden technique, and he has been seen as a villain, which I think is kind of interesting, because here he's kind of neutral. Like, he's not really necessarily good or bad. I mean, he's training assassins, assassins yeah. right? So maybe bad, but, like, 
kind of just seems like I, you know, I'm an old man who's going to do my thing and take from it what you will. So this guy was just in trouble because he was like a traitor, essentially. That's why yeah. it's the forbidden mm-hmm. technique. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, they. I, I wouldn't play that up for my character in the movie either. Like, <laughs> No. So here's the two crazy things about Pai Mei what? Uh, that I, I'm so glad neither happened. So first, originally, Quentin wanted Pai Mei to, because in the movie, Gordon Liu, who also plays Johnny Moe, the bald guy in... The Crazy 88s in the first movie, which I forgot, but oh. very grindhousey, like in in Death Proof and Planet Terror. Some actors cross over here in in the in the Kill Bill movies. We got Michael Parks as a sheriff in the beginning of the first one. We got him as Esteban Vejeo in the end of this one, and then we got Gordon Liu as Johnny Moe, and we also have him here as Pai Mei. So like, just kind of cool because it was originally supposed to be some other actor, and I don't remember who it was. Oh wait, no, no, I, I have that. I have that here. Okay, Esteban Vejeo was supposed to be somebody else. That guy couldn't do it. So like, oh, we'll just get, you know, the other guy is like, I'll do it. And it was great. The original plan for Pai Mei was for Gordon Liu to speak Cantonese, but then have his voice be dubbed in English, like really poorly to do like a bad dub job. And Quentin Tarantino was going to dub his voice himself and then eventually abandon that idea because like, it's just cool. Like it's, it's funny, but it, it It kills the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But what would have been worse was so the <laughs> choreographer for this movie, Wu Ping Yen, was originally set to play Pai Mei in addition to doing his choreography stuff on the movie, but said he couldn't do both. Like he couldn't make the choreography work and also act in this part. Quentin Tarantino was like, fuck it, I'll do it. Which play Pai can Mei? you imagine? Yes. Can you imagine no. Quentin as no. Pai Mei? And then eventually no. he was like, okay, we'll get Gordon Liu to do it. But like there was a time, apparently, I don't know how long, but uh, apparently a time where Quentin was like, yeah, I can play Pai Mei. It's like, no, 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 You're barely tolerable as like Jimmy in the, in Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or his like Australian guy at the end of Django where he's just, it's like, wait, I get it. But like, what are you doing? And, and honestly, like he, like he's not a good actor you make excellent movies and i don't even mind you putting yourself in them but like give yourself the smallest talking parts please like yeah uh, like the coffee line like you can see that it's tarantino writing it you can see what he wants it to sound like and it does Mm -hmm. not sound like that (sighs) thank god it wasn't pai mei i read that i'm like oh my god can you imagine can you believe that's the kind of thing where, like, you know, we were saying last time about how, like, no one says no to him. It's like, well, somebody should say no to that. Like, she's <laughs> yeah. like, you can't. Come on, guys. Like, what? Are, what what's happening here? Yeah, somebody should have been like, like, if it, if it got any further than him just saying you wanted to do it on a bender, if he, like, if right. it got anywhere, somebody right. should have sat him down and been like, yeah, about that, which we're not going to do Quentin, that, right? Quentin, no, 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 my, my, my man, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing this. We're not actually going to do that, right? Like, that's, you know that that's not a good idea. So Esteban, Michael Parks, tells the, tells the story about Bill um, yes. in the movie theater sucking his thumb. So yes. apparently that was a story that Kurt Russell told Quentin Tarantino that Kurt Russell did when he first saw Marilyn Monroe on screen when he was a young boy. So like oh, just that whole like... So little it's fast connection cool. too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mr. Nobody and Marilyn Monroe. Well, also from Death Proof, yes, but Mr. Nobody too. Yes, 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 yes. Another internal... Fast, or not fast in action, Quentin action, Tarantino action, is that, the I'm sure you've probably heard this, that a fan theory says that Rufus, the uh, church pianist played yes. by Samuel Jackson, is Jules from Pulp Fiction after he walks the earth. Oh, no, I've never heard that. I mean, there's no there's no indication one way or the other. He's just kind of like this mysterious guy. Like, why would this guy, essentially, why would a black man be in, like, West Texas where there's, like, no other black people around? Just, like, because he's hiding out, maybe, you know? So That would track. Yeah, that kind of... That kind of makes sense. And, you know, everybody's always trying to connect all the Tarantino movies, so. Right. 
That would, yeah. yeah, that would work. At the end of this movie, Bill calls Beatrix both a natural-born killer, which is a movie that Tarantino wrote, obviously, but also a renegade killer bee, which are both Wu-Tang references as well. <laughs> yes. And RZA wrote most of the original music for these two movies. So a little bit of a Wu-Tang connection there as well. Obviously, yeah. Uh, there are references to five other movies that I, I found on IMDb. So there's Venom from 1981, where it's the, the scene where Bud opens a case and a black mamba bites him in the face. That's from Venom, essentially. Oh, that's cool. Bud's line, I just caught me the cowgirl that ain't never been caught, is from the movie The Driver from 1978, or some version of that is from The Driver. Uh, dri- we'll probably cover that because that's a cool movie. That's a, about cars, obviously. Yeah. The Acuna Boys, which I think are referenced here at the end, uh, yes. they're from a movie called Rolling Thunder from 1977. And in that movie, they're a fictional gang in a movie about five murderers who kill the wife and son of a POW, and that guy gets his quest for revenge. So it's like kind of the same plot. So again, probably just like a gritty kind of movie that Tarantino likes yep. that also yep. thematically is similar. Like, let's just steal the name. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We mentioned a couple times last time the Man With No Name trilogy in For A Few Dollars More, uh, the place where Clint Eastwood has a duel with Indio is Aqua Caliente, and there's a street sign near the church at the beginning of this movie that's called Aqua Caliente, so it's, again, uh. a reference to that. And then when L Driver and Beatrix are fighting in the trailer, the bride says, you got no future. That's apparently from Red Sonia, something like, I know the future, you have none, some line like that. Um, that's from in Red Sonia, where a warrior seeks vengeance upon a villain who slew her family and allowed her warriors to rape her. So again, a woman getting revenge. Shout out to Red Sonia in this. Makes sense. The only other trivia I think that I have here, and this is what I saved for the end on purpose, is that obviously one of the biggest, like the thing that we've probably spent more time talking about than anything in this lab is Shogun Assassin, Lone Wolf and Cub. So in this movie, at the end of the movie, the bride and BB watch Shogun Assassin. Yes. So in the script, it was meant to be that they were supposed to watch Disney's The Aristocats. And Disney said no. What? Wildly different. So then Quentin shifted to an episode of Samurai Jack, which if you look in the scene, there's a Samurai Jack case on top of the TV. Okay. But then what we hear is obviously, for our sake, obviously, Shogun Assassin. Uh, But what's interesting, knowing that this was never really meant, is that you hear both BB and Bill say Shogun Assassin, but they don't say it on screen. Like, we don't see either of their mouths say Shogun Assassin. Like, we see them talking about a thing, and like, we see him say, like, oh, no, that's too long, or whatever. So that was clearly, like, after the fact, but I don't know why they was, I don't know it was what was supposed to be Aristocats. I don't know why it was switched to Samurai Jack. That makes more sense. But then I don't know why they would have switched again to Shogun Assassin. Like, it's just a wild, for this thing that's, like, so indelible and so, like, at the core of three, literally three episodes in, like, five movies, Shogun Assassin and the first four Lone Wolf and Cub movies that we talked about, like, yes. never really supposed to be in the movie. It's just, like, I was like, what? I can't. Come on, guys. You know, as we were watching them and watching them back to back, like, this is yeah. mostly an homage to, Sh- to Shogun Assassin and Lone Wolf and Cub, right? Like, it's that's pretty much what a lot of this is. And, like, I wonder if it was the kind of thing where, like, you know, he wanted a kid's thing and they wanted, and Aristocats, they, got, they couldn't get the rights to. So, like, all right, let's do Samurai Jack because it's a kid show or whatever. And then in post or whatever, like, oh, Quentin's like, oh, I, I know what we can do. And then they just, you know, get the rights to Shogun Assassin or whatever. That, I, I think know. it's the other way around where it was like, he was like, it'd be too on the nose for them to be watching Shogun Assassin. Like, everybody would get it. And then, like, he probably, like, said, like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to put Aristocats, Aristocats here. And everybody's like, why? And he's like, well, I was going to use Shogun Assassin, but, like, it would be too obvious. And everybody's like, no, just use Shogun Assassin. But, like, that still doesn't explain why in the in the scene, in the shot, you can yes. see Samurai Jack on the TV. Or why they don't say, Sh- yeah, like, it was definitely a yeah. late edit, right? So, I don't know. 
feels weird. So let's talk about Kill Bill 2. So this movie is half an hour, almost half an hour longer than Volume 1. I mean, there are some extended credits here where there's like, you know, all the, the yeah. people and what they're doing and everything, which are beautiful. But Kill Bill 2, so you, in retrospect now, like this more than the first one? Oh, hands down. Tack the Sonny Chiba part onto the front of this movie and you're good. I'm fine. I mean, I like Oren, but it's so much better. Like, the only thing that I'm missing is the the whole Hattori Hanzo getting the sword part. Because the Pai Mei shit is just as good. It's so fucking good. So, yeah. I don't know how to say that. Like, I, I mean, I love both. I really do think that if there was one thing, it would still be my favorite thing that he ever made. Yes, I yeah. think the first one has higher highs, but also lower lows. And I think on average, like, if this is like a B plus or an, just to pick an arbitrary thing, like, if this is like a B plus or an A minus all the way through, like, the first movie ranges from like an A to a C or something like that. You know what I mean? That Which makes is sense. Like, yeah. It has this more is kind of steadily peaks and, and like, valleys. Yeah. Yes. And the last hour of this all being Bill and and the bride like they don't skimp at all on this thing that you've been waiting essentially three and a half hours for right it's like yep. you watch the first two hour movie and then you watch like an hour 20 into this and then it says like the final chapter or last chapter whatever the, whatever whatever the title card reads and it's like we're we're an hour in their home and it's like okay this thing that we've been waiting for that you know if you think about trailers you, you know you think about waiting for this six nine twelve months out whatever like you want Uma to kill Bill, yes, and you have an hour of them together. It's not like, oh yeah, just you know, ten minutes at the end, whatever. She sneaks in, she shoots him, it's over, right? Like that would be really lame. It would really, it, and it works. Yeah, it would really, really shortchange it. I mean, he obviously knows that, right? He's good at constructing an unfolding sure, yeah, yeah. story. But I'm saying, like, can you imagine how shitty? Like, what if we had the Wells version of this, where it's like she finds Bill, she shoots him. You know, you'd be like, oh. Yeah. Fuck, that's so disappointing. So do you have a pick for cool moment in this movie? I think that the coolest moment for me is something that was now in the last movie and this movie. Bud saying, like, she she deserves her revenge and we deserve to die. Like, that like that yeah. little monologue when he's talking to Bill and, like, Bill standing there, the car behind him, like, that is just... Like, he's fully come to grips that, like, she's going to fucking kill us. Like, she, she's going to kill us. She deserves to. And, like, I, I'm just now waiting for it to happen. I think that's one of the coolest moments in the movie for me. It's really cool. I, I do like that. Also, one other thing that I saw on the trivia is that no person, no man in any in either of these movies kills someone. Everybody who dies on screen dies at the hand of a woman, which I think is kind of cool. Pretty cool. Oh, that is I really mean, cool. I didn't notice that. I mean, that. the bride kills most of them, but, you know, Oren kills Bud, right? So Yeah, Oren, yeah. yeah. I think one of my favorite, one of my picks for cool moment is in the scene with Pai Mei, which we'll talk about more. Yeah. But he says to her, because she comes in like all kind of cocky or whatever, and, and she's like, you know, I, I'm more than proficient at the, you know, the exquisite art of the samurai sword or whatever. And they fight or whatever. And he's just like, if you land a single blow, I'll bow down and call you master. Like, <laughs> if you hit me once... I have nothing to teach you. And just like him just dunking on her because <laughs> we know time. how good she is, right? Yeah, like, you she's know, this not is the bad. beginning. But like him just being like, Yeah, just hit me once, just one time, and we're good. And obviously she doesn't. No. I like that. You're right. That's a good one too. What I think is really kind of interesting about this, and I think, you know, thinking more about like sort of structure and the way things are laid out and paced, is that this is fascinating in that it works as a prequel after the fact, right? Like it's a prequel and a sequel because it's the it end is. of her yeah, story, which is also the beginning cool. of her story. It works so effectively that you think about like how many origin stories we have to suffer through in modern <laughs> movies, right? And yes. like this is just like, let's just see her kick ass. And then the second part, which ostensibly is part of the whole or whatever, if you think about it as one movie, but like the second part, that's when we see where she got her powers, 
essentially, yep. and also how she finishes her story. Like, I just, it's such a smart way to do it that, like, you don't have to get bogged down by, like, okay, here she is. She doesn't have a sword. She's got no skills, whatever. <laughs> and then, like, you know, at the end, she's, like, she's a superhero. It's just like, no, like, we can see from the beginning she's kicking ass, right? So, I don't know. It's yeah, cool. I think I think that that would be, this technique would be used really well in a, in a lot of the superhero movies. Let's not wait an hour for Spider-Man to get bit. Let's just have him be Spider-Man and then be like, oh, shit, that time I got bit. And then it's like five minutes and you're like, cool, that was cool. We got to see it. <laughs> like not yeah. an hour and a half to get to him getting bit to be Spider-Man. And that's, I think, something that Marvel finally learned by having Spider-Man show up fully formed in yes. Civil War and having Black yep. Panther show up fully formed in Civil War. Like they've been doing their thing. We just haven't seen them do their thing. As opposed to, all right, here's Peter Parker, mild-mannered reporter, mild-mannered <laughs> photojournalist. Going to st- it's just like, yeah, okay, cool, we get it. So, and I mean, like we, we, you know, Tarantino kind of known for, although he's he's gone away from it recently, but for a while there was known for telling his stories out of order. But like, this isn't even that. Like, this is just like a smart way to time the flashback in a way that is like, okay, this is a creative to the story, and we can be like, okay, we know who she is, now let's see where she comes from, because we've kind of heard about Pai Mei. Pai Mei is going to factor into the L Driver thing, because, yep. you know, he plucked her eye out, and she eventually killed him, or whatever, right? So, the structure of it, and even if you think about it as, like, one four-hour thing, like, coming, you know, two and a half hours in, or what, you know what I mean? Just, it, it works. It, it is. It's, it's very, very smart. This is the benefit you get from having someone make a movie that's watched so many movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he just, like, knows, like, okay, this this works. Like, as much as we're like, oh, yeah, he's just, like, stealing a lot of things, he has an eye for what the good things are. So, like, right. it, and then that shines through. Well, it's the kind of thing where, like, I feel bad ever criticizing things, like, too much because I'm like, well, I haven't, I haven't made things, right? Like, I'm yeah, not out yeah, there yeah, making yeah. movies and I feel like I shouldn't criticize things. But at the same time, it's like, I've seen thousands of, like, I, yes, I blogged literally thousands of movies on Letterboxd. Yes. And, like, I know when a story is good or not. And, like, you know, it's not like we argue about things. We're like, yeah, it was fun. I was fine. I'm just like, no, but it was, it was like, objectively bad. You're like, yeah, it was, it was just, you know, it was, it was a good way to spend a nine, like 90 minutes or two hours. I'm like, yeah, but, like, it's not good. <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like, I don't want to just, like, shit on things to shit on things. But it's like, I, I'm at a point where, like, if you don't do something kind of creative or well done, it's just like, give me something, right? Like, yeah, yeah. respect. I don't know. Like, not everybody's just trying to kill time, essentially, right? And so, yes. I don't know. There's there's a medium for that, but, like, if you have the power to make a film, yeah. would you not, like, want it to be something? Like, something? That's, you know, we talk about that a lot. They're, like, my least favorite movies, and we've, like, covered some on Zack Attack and other things, they're just, like, movies that are just movies, right? Like, mm-hmm. the mid-range ones are the worst. Like, at least if you're going to make it bad, like, make it bad. Right. Like, like mm-hmm. then it's a passion project, maybe, or there's like some kind of backstory or, you know, you cranked out like a hundred of these that year. How, like, how the fuck did you make so many? Like something. It's the ones that are just like, yeah, that was a movie. You're like, can you have some respect for my time? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate because like you never know like why they're hamstrung by that. But like, it's something yes, that I've, yeah. I've, I've sort of been able to pick up, like sort of reading the matrix through the code on Letterboxd. And I, I'm trying to teach Brian because this, this year on High School Slumber Party, Brian has been bringing in. So he's always used to do uh, Rotten Tomatoes, both critics and the audience. And he started bringing in the Letterboxd numbers and he always yes. shits on Letterboxd every single episode. I'm like, look, like what you have to know is like if it's above a four, it's amazing. And if like if it's in above like a three, five, it's really good. But like it's that range from like two nine to three one on letterbox i'm just like there's nothing for me here and like you know i might love movies in there i don't know but it feels like letterbox like that's just like an, enough of an aggregate of all different types of movie watchers that if i was just like yeah it's a three out of five it's like 
yeah, there's nothing here. Whereas you yeah. take a movie that like Spring Breakers or whatever, where you look at the little bar chart, bar graph of where people, like, how <laughs> people rank zero. them, it's like a 2.4 average or whatever, but like there's a bunch of fives, there's a bunch of fours, but like it's a lot of bad. It's like, well, there's a lot of people here who think this is great. And it's not just like, you know, teen girls who love star idol X or Y, right? Like it's, there's something else about this going on. And that's what's interesting. But it's like, oh, if, if it's like everything's a three, it's like, yeah, okay, I don't need to see this. You know my rule, which is always like, I always want to watch movies over 80 and under yep. 20. That's yep. the rule. Don't give me that mm-hmm. middle shit, man. This ain't no middle of the mall shit here. That's what I want. Although like, I have, and you know, I think we've talked about this before too, is that like one of the things that I've heard about Rotten Tomatoes is the kind of thing, and I, I don't, again, I don't like Rotten Tomatoes, but like the 50% where it's like people either love it or hate it. It's like, well, that's kind of interesting too. Although, I don't know, it's not always like sometimes 50% is just 50%. Like, <laughs> yes. you don't need to see this movie. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the bar graph works better, but the idea is the same. One thing I thought was really, really cool about this, and again, in the structure of it all, is that, you know, we've seen her in the first movie, especially just watching it two days ago. Mm-hmm. We see her in the first movie kicking ass the entire time, and like, yeah, Oren slices her in the back here, but she kills a crazy idiot. She kills Oren, she kills Renita Green, and she gets a little bloody doing it, but like kind of unstoppable, right? Pretty much. And then this movie starts and she's like in ninja shit, right? Like hiding under Buck's trailer. And we know that we see Buck, like our Bud, not Buck. Buck's the other guy she kills. Um, But she sees Bud, like he's classified as just such a fuck up, right? Like he's a a, a bouncer at a strip club. And he like... Yes. And Can't even do joking, that right. He's joking about, like, Hawking is a Tori Hanzo sword and just, like, lives in a trailer. Not that living in a trailer is bad, but, like, they're making him out to be, like, this guy that, like, he's past his prime, he's out of shape, he's got a dumb hat, whatever, right? Yes. And we see her in her ninja shit under his trailer, and we're like, oh, okay. And then she opens the door and gets a chest full of buckshot, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this woman who is, like, bullet, like, literally bulletproof the entire first movie, the first interaction, like, almost the first time we see her in you know the current timeline because we have the opening black and white but like she gets taken down hard and buried alive right like (laughs) yeah it's a serious like oh no like i thought you know she gets out of it obviously but it's like oh i completely misread like he does such a good job there i think of like setting up what you think this is going to be like because it should be like she just walks in like he doesn't pay attention and she just stabs him or whatever right he's drunk like passed out watching watching tv listen to a record and she just like Cuts his throat and walks out. But maybe she underestimated him. I don't think that she did. But like, I think she, she did. Gets no, I think blind- she, did. she gets blindsided there, and I'm just like, oh god! Like even knowing what happens and like how it gets set up, like it's still surprising because it's like such a reversal of like, well, she's she's bulletproof. It's also like one of those things where as much as she underestimates him, like don't forget that like he was one of them. Yep. Like he might have been the worst one of them, but right. it's the. You know, every Fast and the Furious movie is a good movie, right? So it's like, even if it's the worst one of them, he's still professional assassin. So, like, he's going to remember some of it. And he knows she's coming, which is another big piece of this. Yeah. So, like, he's on guard. So, like, as much as he's, like, just drinking and in his trailer, he's like, she's coming for us. Like, I know that she's going to show up here and try to kill me. And to be fair, she does enter through the front door, right? It's like, literally. As long as she literally, sneaks through a window. She just, like, kicks open the front door and she's like, oh, well, okay. Buck or just chest, wait. Right? Like, how the fuck doesn't she wait for him to walk out and just, like, slice his ankle? You know, like, his Achilles or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was, you were, she was definitely being cocky. Like, I killed the other ones. Those were the hard ones. Let me get this easy one out of the way real quick. And he was like, don't forget about me. He does feel like an afterthought, though, because like, and I thought about this before, but again, I was thinking about here, especially in the fight between 
L driver and, and the bride, because L is the letter L, and Beatrix is the letter B, and we got O-Ren as O, and Vernita Green, you know, there's not that many names. That, like, it's just, you can you can hear people being like, oh, V, you know, give me that thing, V, or whatever, right? Okay. But then there's Bud. So we have, like, four letters for four different women, and then it's just Bud. Well, Bud's the only guy. I know, but, like, it just feels like he's so out of place. Yeah, he is. And, and it's, like, Bud as, like, the coattail of bill anyways right like so i mean they say that they're brothers do you think that they're actual brothers i think so yeah yeah yeah. okay so he just like he's just like my brother bud that's like just tagging along like he doesn't want to do this and he's just a slacker and that's how it works speaking of bud you get an impression from in the beginning at the strip club like i got and maybe just because i watched the movie recently but i felt like the club owner was trying to channel like trying to be like you know flex his muscles or whatever and be like trying to it felt like and sounded like he was channeling his inner don corleone well you have to remember that they start the scene with him doing a bunch of cocaine so i think that it plays well in the sense that he is ripped yes he's channeling his inner Don Corleone, he's doing that because he's fucked up. So it's actually, I think, a good acting job. The actor is doing badly because he's trying to imitate someone. He's like, no... I'm oh no, no no no! Like I think it yeah. was it was inten- he was intentionally doing it, but it was just yes. like he was kind of like there was like the scratchy voice and like trying to oh, like yeah. show off for this you know oh, even yeah. stripper like Stay none of these strippers baby. are impressed by this guy right yeah no, it's just he's like their boss. Whatever. like yeah, yeah he, they have to tolerate him it's so stupid. I also never learned the last thing the note I have about about Bud is that L shows up to his trailer and is going to buy the sword going to buy Beatrix's sword from yes. him. L brings a suitcase full of money, and under the money is there's there's the Mamba, and the Mamba comes up and bites him in the face and kills him, right? Yes. I never realized before that when L and the bride are fighting, and she, like, does a somersault over the, like, island, like, you know, the kitchen wraparound in the trailer, like the L, she lands on him, like, kind of as, like, a landing pad, like, you just see his body, like, his big old beer belly, and she lands on him and does, like, a somersault when she launches over the island. I'm like, oh, like, even in death, he gets no respect, just, like, getting, like, landed on mid-fight, I just thought that was kind of funny, like, it's just a very quick blink in your list if i was just like oh okay no i've never noticed that and now i have to pay attention to it next time i watch this movie because i didn't notice that she used does she use them as like a trampoline or does she like land on no him? she like just like la- like thuds onto him <laughs> that's awesome bud gets no respect man not that he deserves any but still he gets no respect is there an image more iconic to channel brian in this movie than uh than beatrix squishing the eyeball between her toes <sighs> Uh, it's up there. If it's not, it's, it's up there. way up there. It gives me the heebie-jeebies, man. I can't... It's too... Something about, like, squishy things in bodies get me. Like, eyes. Eyes and knees were always, like, my two things. Like, I don't want to see eye surgery. Oh, interesting. And I, okay. And I don't want to see knee surgery. So, like, the eye squishing thing is, like... It really creeps me out. And then, like, sometimes I'll rub my eye, and you'll feel that, like, your eye is not hard it's squishy and that oh yeah freaks me out it gets, like it's, it's insane like, yeah it, as somebody who's seen videos of eyes and knee surgeries at multiple points in my life <laughs> i don't want to ever see either of them again and as i get older dude the, the more squirmish i get like my stomach isn't built for shit like this anymore like when i was like 15 i maybe it was like the video games you know like you're playing video games all the time so like you're kind of desensitized to it but like when i watch this stuff now i'm like Ugh. like i had to like look away when she did it oh yeah i don't i yeah it's, it, the video games is also just horror movies that just you know yes. the more you just take in in Exposure. general like they're not they're not squishing eyes on temptation island exactly yes yes they are not squishing eyes on them just hearts 
five point exploding palm heart technique. But yeah, but also like you know, it's like like mother like daughter because at the end when they're doing or in the end in the final hour where they're yes. talking to BB and she's yes. like, I took the fish out and I squished in the, I stepped on the fish and just like you know, mom squishing on eyeballs and BB squishing on fish and just like different life lessons learned. I was just like, oh, like they're both stepping on squishy things to end lives essentially. <sighs> yes, that's it. This is an interesting thing. So we were watching Sound of Metal, and now we're talking about Kill Bill, and I want to bring this up to you. We've never talked about this. What do you think would be more difficult for you personally, because both I I think are... Oh, this is about senses? Go ahead. Both are definitely difficult to deal with. Do you think it would be harder to, to not be able to see or not be able to hear? I think I would rather give up hearing. I think like sight would be the hardest one to give up. The other side of this was the guy from Texas Roadhouse got COVID. Did you hear the story? No. One of his side effects from having COVID was he got tinnitus. Oh, okay. Ooh, okay. Yep. He killed himself because the tinnitus was too much for him to bear. Oh, Jesus. Okay. And we had been watching Sound of Metal. Now we're watching this. And I was telling Rachel, like, I always have tinnitus, but mine grew. Like, I know that there was a point in my life where I never had tinnitus. I know that I have it now, and I know that it's definitely gotten worse, but it was it was progressive. So, like, I adjusted to it, right? Mm-hmm. If... I would just go deaf like Riz in in Sound of Metal or to go blind like L here. I don't think I could survive. There's no way. I couldn't come back from this. It's genuinely I think impossible to think about from like the place of priv- like able body. Like I, I, I don't I don't know. Yes. I'm just trying to think of like the things that you would lose you you lose so much in both of them but like uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that I'm strong enough as a person to be able to handle any of these. Like, I don't think that I could personally do it. Like, losing one eye, it's like, that's bad. Like, that would be really, really bad. And then, like, losing the other eye, like, because she doesn't kill her, right? She, like, leaves her with no eyes. What happens at the end of Game of Death? Doesn't somebody lose a second eye or something or lose a second arm or something? We talked about this. Oh. One of the villains at the end, when it's, like, not actually Bruce Lee, it's, like, fake Bruce Lee at the top of that building that, like, shouldn't be in the movie, where there's, like, the cake boss or whatever, <laughs> right? Or the... Cake boss was an interesting word for it. Yes, yes. But, like, there's the guy who, like, I think there's, like, the fish tank, right? And, like... Yeah, he cut his one arm off, and then he cuts his other arm off. Yeah. That's more vicious than killing someone. Just, like, leaving them maimed... Yeah. Like, that's really, really vicious. Yeah. Well, I mean, in this movie, L has a coming, right? Like, in Sound oh, of Metal, it's just an unfortunate, it, for yeah, sure. life, she... life-throwing shit at you. But, like, this is just like, oh, no, you're a terrible, you're a terrible person, right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But is even more out of the loop, essentially, because the way that, you know, I saw it written this way with a lowercase i that doesn't exist in the word, but, like, the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, which is Bill's, you know harem of women plus bud it's divas and which again you know fox force five or whatever but dvas but d you know one time on imdb they have a diva but like again bud does not belong because like you know he's diva, diva b i guess yeah i don't know i don't know when i was watching this in the beginning i was thinking like as much as we have the dom and letty like wedding i can't believe we don't have a fucking wedding in a fast and the furious movie yet like you don't think like brian and mia could have like had a well, there's wedding no relationships <sighs> We have Dom and Letty's wedding, we have their secret wedding, and then Brian and Mia, I mean, Paul Walker died, so like... No, but I mean, like, before that, you know, like... A wedding in a movie like a Fast and Furious movie that is not about weddings, I mean, it's about family, but it's not about weddings, feels like, all right, we're in season, like, we talked about this recently with Nico and Kev, it's like, oh, we're in season six of the sitcom, like, who's gonna get together? It's like, oh, let's Uh... just have a wedding. And, like, you don't have a wedding in the first, like, three or four movies in a franchise about cars. (laughs) That's true. Like, they even saved, they saved the wedding until the end of six and it, they didn't even show it 
it's like a surprise fake like a surprise wedding it's told to us because letty is like i remember everything i remember our secret wedding please come back to life i'm not ready to die yet like wait what you're married Breathe, Dom. Let's talk about this last hour, though. Or actually, anything about, else about Pai Mei that you want to talk about? Because there's the big yes. Pai Mei thing and there's the thing at the end. So let's talk about Pai Mei first, because I don't think I have any more notes. But Oh, actually, I do have one more note, but talk, talk about Pai Mei. The last thing about Pai Mei is when Pai Mei takes the sword from her and oh, he throws this is my note. it. Yep. Is yep. that your no? Okay, cool. And he throws it and he, like, sheaths it into the, like, sword rack. Mm-hmm. And it's like... How many times do we see that in Shogun Assassin, right? Oh, that's not what I was thinking about. I was what? thinking about Hattori Hanzo with a magnetic knife bar. Well, that too. But how many times did we see the, like, in Lone Wolf and Cub and Shogun Assassin where, like, that he had that, like, kind of small knife that came over his head and he's like, can you return that, sir? And he just, like, throws it back into the sheath. That's yeah. what I was thinking. And I was like, yeah. that's obviously really badass, but, like, we've... It's cool to see this happen. Because also at the end of this movie, if we want to transition to the end there, because that was the same moment, which is a different takeaway, but the same moment. But at the end, when the bride and Bill are fighting, right? Yeah. And she loses her sword, but has like the sheath and like she sheathes his sword. His sword, yep. Awesome. And again, this is something else that we've, yeah, we were talking about all over the place when we were watching Lone Wolf and Cub. So to see it just like right in my face here is pretty awesome. That's a cool move too. Like, yeah. Yeah. I only have my sheath, the sheath of my sword, because mm-hmm. he hit my sword away, and he, like, goes to stab her, and she just is like, no, put that away. I still, like, again, I just love this. I love, like, the reason I like two more than one is because of this last hour, and, like, yeah. when she goes up there and, like, a, like, low and, like, quick and low, like a cop entering a room or whatever, and then there's just Bill and BB with their toy guns, and she says, freeze mommy. I still get, like, chills. Thing. Like, it just, it's just so... It's such a gut punch, and you can see yeah. like she just acts it so perfectly, and that girl is so cute, and like She's everything so about cute, it is just—it's the greatest. Like, oh my god, because you think the entire time, and again, this is why it works so well if it's not not spoiled in the first movie, but not mentioned at the end of the first movie, but it's just like, she oh my god, like. Also, you think about, like, the reason they're not together is because of the daughter. Because she's like, I can't do this anymore. I need to leave. Bill finds her and misinterprets what's going on and then kills her out of rage or whatever, right? But, like, or tries to kill her. But it's because of BB that they're not together. It's because of BB that, like, she doesn't have BB in a weird way. So for BB to be around, (laughs) it's like, damn, man, wow. Yeah, what a fucking wild world, for sure. And, like, the whole reason she leaves Bill to begin with is because of her. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, it's just, like, the kid plays the, the – it's the ultimate key to this whole thing. And I really wish somehow I would c- could watch this movie again for the first time and not know she's alive and watch a version where she doesn't say, like, right. does she know her daughter's alive? Because the thing to keep in mind – so if people have not – I mean, we did a terrible job setting up what this movie's about, but I just sort of assume that everybody has seen it. But if you don't know – so the reason she's trying to kill Bill is because she gets sent on a mission. Like, she's an assassin for him, and she gets sent out to kill this woman in L.A. And because she is seen coming to L.A., this woman she's set to kill sends her own assassin to kill Uma. And so she goes to the hotel to kill Uma. But Uma just found out that she is – pregnant and so she's a little rattled and she talks this assassin off her tail and just like look i will leave i'm not gonna kill your boss you don't kill me we're all good and so she leaves and she's like bill i can't do this anymore and she just runs away and he has to find her when he finds her she's pregnant with this dopey guy from the from the wedding that we find at the beginning of this movie yeah and so he's like oh not only like i think the bigger thing is not only did like she leave me but she has settled for this life of mediocrity and getting knocked up by this doofus yeah yeah and that's why at the at the beginning 
of the first movie and she's like bill it's your baby like as he shoots her in the head it's like oh shit okay talking about the scene where she goes to and she finds out she's pregnant mm-hmm. one of the things that like i didn't mention last time that i love about tarantino is his close-up of like objects like the most stupid like pregnancy test and stuff like that just like the way he shoots them to make them look really cool i don't know mm-hmm. how he does it it's awesome of course the pregnancy test is important in this scene but like to shoot it in a way that it looks cool sitting on a bathroom counter is like how how do you do that on this like weird angle and like the focus? It's just really, really cool. And it always surprises me. That scene is great. Like, and I thought you were gonna say also, you know, a lot of close-ups of her feet as well. Uh, well, I mean, obviously. Shout course. out to the body shop. The body shop this episode. Yeah. It doesn't feel slow. The end, right? Like it just no, feels like this is exactly yeah. what it needs to be. You know, Bill making sandwiches and telling the story about the goldfish and then her laying down with BB and like it all like, you know, everybody knows they know, you know, how this night ends. One of them is going to get killed, right? For either sure. From the jump. She's yeah. there to kill him and either he defends himself or she's successful. And so they're like sort of kind of like domestic bliss, kind of. And then her watching a movie with her daughter and then like going out and then just like kind of shooting the shit a little bit. And then like, OK, we need to, we need to do this. Yeah, let's get this murder on. I like that back end of it, and like you're talking about now, it feels so familial that like watching this, and because we watch all the Fast and the Furious movies, you're like, this is like character development and family, and like all the things we look for in those movies too, and I think that's part of what makes this this one so good, the second one. Just like the unfolding and like learning their intentions and about them, and like how well the characters are developed is like yes that's that's what i was looking for also when she's there she says something to bill bill you know that like before that moment i would have jumped a motorcycle onto a speeding train for you and i was like we've seen that we've definitely seen that <laughs> i don't know if they have any other notes i do want to just make note again that esteban vejeo the other michael parks character is like so cool in an absolutely creepy kind of way i love him at the end only on the condition that you call me esteban He's so good, and his voice is, like, so perfect. I wish I had that voice. That's a voice that I want. Well, also, that's not his voice. Like, his voice, like, he in the beginning of the movie, like, has, like, a Texan accent. So, like, he's just, like, a white dude. Yeah, but I know, but I want that voice. The voice that he's doing, I want that voice for my permanent yeah. voice all the time. Elle's sitting there, right? After she kills Bud, Bill calls her, and she's, like, packing up the money, and she's like, oh, you know, like, your brother's dead. She killed him. And, like, you know, makes up, like, the fake story because she killed Bud to get the sword, whatever. But I got her. Don't worry about it. But I got her. Don't worry about it. Do you know where she says she is? No. She goes, if you ever want to find her, get to Barstow, California. Does she say Barstow? I swear to God I heard her say Barstow. So Bud lives in Barstow. So there you go. So I was like, it's fucking Barstow. That's exotic to her. Yep, here we go. Let me put it this way. If you ever start getting sentimental, if you ever start feeling sentimental, go to Barstow, California. When you get here, walk into a florist, buy a bunch of flowers, take those flowers to Huntington Cemetery on Fuller and Guadalupe, look for the headstone marked Paula Schultz, Yep. lay them in the grave because you'll be standing at the final resting place of Beatrix Keto. Oh, by the way, the Beatrix tell Keto me this. name reveal please, is please, like, it's please the tell dumb, me this. I don't, who That's cares? That's in my notes. Go ahead. Who cares? Who the fuck cares? This is so stupid. I, I was trying to say, like, is there something deeper here that, like, I didn't get, like... Don't think so. Didn't see anything about it. It's so fucking dumb. Like, I mean, for all the good choices you make in this movie, why are you beeping, like, out her name for it to be Beatrix Kiddo? Cool. And it's not like, like, everybody's secretly talking about Beatrix Kiddo. Like, everybody else is saying the name, so it's like, oh, no, like... Well, Bill calls her Kiddo twice. Yes. Yeah, like, to her face. 
And they don't beep before that Before the name reveal, yes. Because it's just like, that's also a nickname. I don't know. Like, I think it's cool in a weird whatever way. It's a cool, yeah, I, it's I think it's, it's cool that they bleep her name because it's like, oh, like, keep your name out her mouth or keep her name out your mouth. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like, one of those kind of things. But, like, it's not like, oh, her name is also bill it's like wait what no like yes that's yeah that's what i'm saying right like it's not like oh like no the whole time l was her and we just didn't want you to know that they're all talking about her right like nope no just fucking cool and like the the reveal of her in a in an elementary school class as an adult i don't i like it but i don't know why like i just i don't understand why they do like it just i don't understand it i like that it's like a weird cut like jump away like that that part i enjoy but it does feel like the whole like reveal was just so that he could have this scene somehow yes if you like put the name in then you have to cut this scene because it doesn't fucking matter right like or put it like way at the beginning i don't know it was in my notes. I'm like, why the fuck did we have to do this name reveal? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it's so useless. I don't know. If you know her name, like in the first scene, when in the Vernita Green scene, in the first scene, in the first movie, not the first scene, but like one of the first scenes in the first movie, when Vernita Green's talking to her daughter, she's like, you know, Beatrix is here. And like, you can, they bleep it, but like, you can still hear the B and the X. So like, yes, I don't yes. know. And there's not a lot of names that like, if again, who cares? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't get it. Do you know what movie Bill is watching while they're watching Shogun Assassin? Because I feel like that was probably important. I didn't see it. I didn't see it's notes like about a, that. Let it's me like see a if I Western it. movie. Here are 31 film references in Kill Bill Volume 2. Cool. The final tracking shot of The Bride is from Queen Christina from 1933. They're watching Shogun Assassin. Fistful of Dollar Score. There's a shot from The Searchers. Shot from The Searchers. That's probably it. Yep. No, no, no. The, the Searchers is her in the in her gown in Texas. John Wayne walks in the door in The Searchers. Oh. L is wearing Mia's, not not our Mia, but Mia from, Mia Wallace, her suit from Jackie, from Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown apparently also. Um, there's a line from Jackie Brown. Crawling Up the Grave is from a bunch of different movies. There's a siren music from Ironside. The Talking Magpies cartoon at the end. Trapped in the Coffins like the City of the Living Dead. As Useless as an Asshole is for a reference to Savage 7. There's a shot from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. War of the Blonde Gargantuas. Pris's Death in Blade Runner. We got that. We mentioned that before. The original L Driver is from a movie called Thriller, A Cruel Picture. Hmm. Or at least inspired by a Swedish exploitation film. Beatrix Kiddo inspired by Lana Turner from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1941. Zabriskie Point is referenced. They reference uh, Star Wars Episode Five, Luke and Yoda. Oh, the Golden Stallion on TV. Here we go. As the bride confronts Bill at the end, he's watching Roy Rogers' 1949, The Golden Stallion. Mm, never so, seen I it. I'm sure it plays into this somehow, based sure. on how all this works. The Golden Stallion. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is actually kind of cool. I don't, I've never actually been here. Golden Stallion is diamonds are being smuggled across the border from Mexico in a specially made shoe of a Palomino mare. One of the smugglers is killed when the mare runs off. Blah, blah, blah. But the poster for this... Remember all those, like, posters that I got from my dad that my dad got from yes, somebody? Yeah. Like, all yeah, those, like, yeah. old, like, it looks like one of those. Like, I don't think I have any Roy Rogers posters, but, like, it's that whole, like, oh, this is a cool, white cool and yellow aesthetic. art. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on, so on IMDb, there's a section called Connections that has different movies in the series, like what it follows, what it's followed by, what it's edited into, uh, and then also references. So in here, there's like, there's, God, there's so many, there's so many references. Holy moly. And then referenced in, referenced in a bunch of stuff. But like references, 
Annie Oakley, Queen Christina, His Girl Friday, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Casablanca, Talking Magpies, Postman Always Rings Twice, Golden Stallion, $64,000 Question, The Searchers, Quick Draw McGraw, Navajo Joe, like just like dozens, dozens of them, of course. There has to be dozens of us. Dozens, Michael. Any other notes about this movie? When she is in the white dress at the end and they're playing what sounds to me like Spanish music, the the setting of that room, it just felt very Mia in Brazil to me. Oh, okay, okay. Is she in Brazil? Like when she's like hiding out? Remember, like she's like at the compound or whatever? Like it just had like a very similar vibe. Cool. Well, let's watch the trailer and see if we're inspired for any more things. We're watching our boy Movie Clips Classic Trailers, posted February 27th, 2014, 912,000 views, Kill Bill Volume 2 official trailer, Uma Thurman, David Carradine, Action Movie HD. Whenever you're ready, tell me. All right. Three, two, one, play. Rated R. There's lots of fucks in this one. Yeah, I, I also think, you know, in that into that point, like when Uma finds out she's pregnant, she just says, fuck. Yeah. Which is, you know, feet. Probably. We start with feet. We do. There's so much feet in this movie. You've seen her betrayed. That's a good shot, too, when they all, like, line up and pull their guns out yep. in front of the chapel. In this whole chapel scene, like, you don't have to show them all getting shot. You just show the, like, there's your cool moment. That's a very cool moment. You want to see half the picture. The sword in the passenger seat is pretty badass, dude. I also think it's fun that, like, I don't know if, if he's in, like, you know, a villa in, like, a, a resort or somewhere. Yeah, but, like, he's in, like, a resort. That's what we again, were talking about. Again, she's walking through the lobby with a katana strapped to her back and no one stops her, right? So. Yeah. I was trying to think, like, if you saw somebody carrying a katana, would you, like, even notice? I don't know. Like, there's the Nicolas Cage movie, The Weatherman, where he just carries a crossbow through, like, downtown New York, right? And it's, like, after 9-11. It's like, what? I don't know. That feels not that feels like a not thing that would happen. Real. But if you had, like, a katana on your back, you'd be like, I will say this trailer is not nearly as good as the trailer for the first movie. No, that car is really badass, too. It's like a wacky car. I looked it up. It kind of looks like DeLorean a little bit. It's a Di Tommaso Mangusta. Oh, I've heard of that. Exactly. Wait, Vivi is in... Oh, I guess we know that Vivi's in the movie. Yeah. But this, is a, this fucking sucks as a trailer. The first one was so good. I had to choose. I chose her. And this is the official trailer. This is not like a fan cut or anything. Just like no, I mean like this would just like yeah, this suck. Is, yeah, this is how you chose to sell, sell the movie. I don't like that's the thing. Like the first movie is so cinematic and so yeah. like action packed, and this is like more emotional. And I get that's harder to sell, but like no, not even just to sell. It's just like it's so spoilery. Like there's everything in this. Also that. That's what I'm mad about. Baby, you ain't kidding. Cool. Sorry, I. Oh. You overreacted? Uh-oh. Big laugh line in the theater, I'm sure. <laughs> the Letterbox game. So for reference sake, finally it broke 800,000. Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterbox, has now been seen by 800,872. So in the last two days, it's been seen by like 1,000 people. So again, crazy, like 500 people a day logging that movie, right? Still, and it's what, 20 years old almost? So no, 15. no, 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 no. Fury Road's like a decade old. It came out in 20, 2015. Oh, sorry, I, mean, I, was thinking, I was thinking Kill Bill. And I almost said Pulp Fiction again. Fuck. But go ahead. Boy, what is going on here? Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> 2004, yes. directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uma Thurman, David Carradine, Daryl Hannah, and Michael Madsen has been seen by how many people? 
you want to refresh? Do you want to remember what the first one was, or do you want to? No, know? I want to go in blind. I'm trying to remember what the first one was to help me. I'm gonna go. I think it was close to six hundred thousand. I'm gonna go six hundred fifty thousand. So the first movie you guessed six hundred, you were too low. The first movie was eight hundred. Okay. Or seven fifty or something, something. So you said six hundred. You said six fifty here. Yeah, six fifty here. You're too high. So a lot of people didn't log like Kill Bill One was it. That's funny. I was watching this and I was watching this with Rachel's parents are here. So I was watching this with Kevin and Kevin's like, I don't ever think I've seen the second Kill Bill. I'm like, what? Like, like one was it. You were just good on one. Like you just never wanted to watch the second one. <laughs> I don't know how this played out, but I don't know, man. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> Fuck, 550,000. I think it's still high. You're still high, but you're not you're not wildly high. You got to go a little lower. 515,000. 527, 527, 519. Damn. So the first movie had 786,000. This is 528, so like two-thirds of it. It makes, I mean, the fir- uh, a first movie is never going to be less seen, I don't think, in a franchise, right? Unless like a franchise is like decades long. Yeah, yeah, I think so. First movie, an average rating of 4.1. This movie, average rating of 4.0, most common a 4, then a 5, then a 4.5, then a 3.5. How many of those 528,000 people have this in their top four of all time? I forget. The last one was maybe like 4,000 or something crazy. I'm last gonna, one was 10,000. It was 10,000. I'm going to go, this one's like 3,000. Too high. 1,500. Very close. 1,400. It does. It just round. It doesn't, it, you know, yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't have breakdowns from there. 1,400 people have this in their top four. So That's significant, crazy. like a 10,000 to four. I th- but the thing is, I think that this is like really skewed. This is one of the hardest ones because I think that like people are like, oh, Kill Bill Volume 1 counts as both Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2. Well, there also is, saying? or there was for a while, a log, like a thing you could log on Letterboxd that was the whole bloody affair that I had in my top four, I think, for a while. Like when I do like my favorite movies of all time, I just put that in there. So there That's is what a I'm third saying. one. Yes, yeah. Um, also, like when I was looking for a lot of people, like we're going to go to NFO Puffuxer, probably some kind of like, I'm saying it wrong, but it's probably some kind of curse. A lot of people, when I was looking for a top four to play, had both of them in their top four. So the people who liked the first, the second one uh, liked the first one too, right? So Obviously, yeah. But we're going to this, this account. No name, just Nepoxer. No name, Denise. No name, Denise. Review is just daddy issues. Five stars. Okay. So this person's account. Oh, he's got a last FM. Let's see what he's listened to. Oh, he listens to Mastodon. Okay, cool. Eminem a lot in the last... Smashing Pumpkins is number one played artist of all time. If that gives you Kanye number three, Radiohead number seven. Cool. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So he's Isaiah. It says Kill Bill 2 is his fourth favorite movie of all time. Joe, his number one movie is a movie that comes up a lot in this game recently. Blade Runner. Which one? 2049. You got it. Number Get one, 2049. <laughs> At this point, you just have to pick Blade Runner in every single one, because apparently yeah. it's just in every one. So, like, w- just one gimme. <laughs> well, I'm also, like, I'm, I'm intentionally picking four that you can get, but yeah. also there are a lot of movies that you can guess. That just happens to be one that comes up a lot. So, you know. I mean, it's a good movie. I get it. Sure. Yeah. Number two, I don't know if this is going to help you, is a movie that I didn't get into an argument with, but Mike and I got into a disagreement with with Brian and Kyle yesterday. Because Brian and Kyle are not very enthusiastic about this movie. They think it's long and boring. Mike and I are like, you guys are crazy. And I think this is one of the best action movies of all time. Best action movies, but they think it's long and boring. Yes. And they have a personal connection to an earlier movie in this franchise. And Mike and I have a connection to the entire franchise. This is, I think, far and like, this is Mike and my, I think, favorite movie by this actor and favorite in the franchise for sure. Is it a Mission Impossible? Mm Mm-hmm. 
What's the one? What's the one? What's the good Ghost one? Ghost Protocol. Nope. That's the second best one, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know what the best. Mission Impossible 3. No, that's... I think that one's not great. And that's the one that Philip Seymour Hoffman is in. And so Brian and Kyle are like, oh my God, this movie is amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's all right. Like, I think two is the worst one. I think everybody kind of agrees that two is the worst one in that. And then I think three is next. Underwhelming. But this one, Mission Impossible Fallout, the most recent one. Oh, yeah. God damn it. Amazing. People love that movie. Yeah. Amazing. All right. And then number three is what many people, I would say the most people probably consider the best superhero movie of all time uh avengers endgame no that's probably actually the right answer to my question but that's not what i was trying to get you to guess <laughs> okay the best superhero movie of mm-hmm. uh, um well, i'm gonna go the dark knight mm-hmm. but that was a the that dark was a foursome well i mean it's, it's four huge movies right <laughs> blade runner 2049 mission impossible fallout the dark knight and kill bill 2 it's like yeah those are four great movies those right? are four very very big movies yeah that is absolutely it We've never talked about on here what my four are. My number one is is a YouTube series, uh, The History of the Seattle Mariners, which is not my favorite thing of all time, but I just love it. And there's like a big old Ken Griffey Jr. at the top. That was my favorite thing I saw all all year last year. Like that was I know, you you definitely talked about it. And it does sound interesting, but still. And then number two, Paddington 2. And then Rad. And then my fourth one changes right now at Spring Breakers. Yeah. But you know I love Rad, and you know I love Paddington too. And Spring Breakers too. Rachel just turned on Spring Breakers the other night, like it was on. I think we had, oh, shout out. I think we had like a Showtime preview on Sling. Ooh. Yeah. Well, we don't really on, care about Showtime. We're a, star, we're a stars podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It, well, it was, it was one or the other. I honestly don't remember. But it was on one of them, and like Spring Breakers was on. She hits play, and it's like as they're doing like every time oh perfect like she turns it on and they're like dancing with like the things that he's playing piano and i was like did you know that this is where this movie was and she's like no rachel's got the gift she's got the touch she does she has it all right joe on tuesday we've got our tune-up relap recap with, with heather. heather antos closing out last her, are you gonna ask her who her favorite character is i'm gonna have to ask her the right way because apparently <laughs> she's a difficult human being <laughs> Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. Tuesday, <laughs> tune-up, relap, recap. Closing at lap eight, announcing the theme for lap nine. And then the week after that, we're doing the Fast and the Furious lap time and I, I, lap nine. I don't know our guest yet. I mean, we've reached out. we got a bunch of people who are interested in doing the show. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out who it's going to be. Uh, got a good slate of guests for next lap. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. I don't know. But uh, yeah, we're getting real close to watching these movies all over again, which... Feels like we just did it, but also we didn't, so I don't know. I mean, it always feels like we just watched them, right? Like, that's kind of the how this works. Oh, boy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we're never that far away from another one. <laughs> no, definitely not. We'll talk more about that on Tuesday, but for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at TooFast2Forever.com. we got a bonus episode coming at you next week or the week after, probably. Ooh. So check out that at TooFast2Forever.com, only for our patrons over there. Store at TooFast2Forever.shop. And come back on Tuesday for our tune-up relap recap, closing at lap 8, which is the Tokyo Drift Lap. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, too. And we'll tell you all about it. We see you.